Amen. Thank you, Joseph. Uh, you guys can have a seat. Good morning, Miss Lynn. Come on up. If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verses 27 through 31. Exodus 4, 27 through 31. Now, this is the shortest section that we're going to see for a while. Um, in fact, next week, we're going to, Lord willing, we'll, we'll take all of chapter 5. And then the week after that, we'll take all of chapter 6. And then, Lord willing, uh, Mr. Dolan will open chapter 7 with us in uh, verses 1 through 13. And so, and so this is a small section, but there's some beauty in it. And, and, and I think some personal application. And so what we'll do is I'm going to read the scripture and, and then we'll just kind of walk through it. And it's not going to take us very long to do that because there's not much there. But then uh, we're going to have three or so applications towards the end um, that I hope will be very helpful for, for, for all of us. And so things are going to be going well today for the people of God. And so in Exodus, I don't know if you've read through it much or, or, or how much you know about it, but it has some serious ups and some serious downs. And so about the time you see things get good in Exodus and you think, all right, things are going well, well, guess what happens? It falls off, okay? And so next week, I mean, we're on a mountaintop today. Next week, it's going to fall off drastically in regards to just the overall morale and faith and worship of the people of God. Now, keep in mind, God's not changed at all through this. And so one of the things we'll try to see at the beginning is that God, what God says is going to happen actually happens. And so even the fall off and Pharaoh's rejection of the words of Moses and Aaron, God told them that that was going to be the case. And so I don't mean that God's all over the road. I just mean that the people of God's experience is all over the road. And I'm thankful for the transparency of the Lord in that because I, I think most of us in this room, I don't know about everybody, certainly not everybody in this room is old enough to know that this life has ups and downs. I mean, we have good days and we have bad days. And I wish it was just limited to good days and bad days, but I, I, you can have a good morning and a really bad afternoon. You can have a good moment and then the very next moment be like a really bad moment. And so, uh, you, know, you know, we have ups and downs. Charlie had a, I felt like a pretty good analogy this week as we were talking about Exodus. She said, it feels like you're on a roller coaster. Like, like in the first few chapters, you feel the tension and the fear kind of building as you climb and you climb and you climb, but it's not super fast. You're just kind of climbing, but, but, but you feel the angst sort of building. And then you get to the top and there's this moment of, wow, look at this. It's beautiful. You can see so many different things. And then I don't ride roller coasters, so y'all tell me what happens after that usually. Yeah, once you inch to the top, from what I've seen and what I've heard, then all of a sudden you take this drastic turn to the left or drastic turn to the right or straight down and you're screaming bloody murder, you're, you're holding on for dear life, your eyes are closed and you think you're about to die. Well, that's a lot like Exodus. And so this morning we've made this climb and, and we're going to be at the top and we're going to see just a, a beautiful moment of God's people gathering together to worship Him and to celebrate Him. So let's read that beginning in verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that they had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped him. This is the word of the Lord. 
this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us another opportunity to gather in person and also for those that are tuning in virtually to be a part of this time. We believe this is your word. We believe it has power. We believe it has authority. We believe that it's profitable for everything, for life and for godliness and rebuke and reproach. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning in your word and glorify yourself. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so guess what? Moses and Aaron do what the Lord commanded them to do, and everything went as planned. Is that a surprise? Well, it should be to Moses, right? Think about how much time the Bible devoted to Moses' conversation with the Lord, where he goes back and forth with these excuses, with these fears, with these doubts, and it sort of culminates in this moment where he says, okay, I just don't want to go. I mean, that's a paraphrase, but basically Moses just didn't want to go. It's not that he didn't want the people saved. It's not that he didn't love them. He just didn't think, one, he had the ability to do it, um, you know, coupled with probably the majority of the way he felt is he just did not want to do it, but he was still God's man. And so whenever he finally says, I don't want to go, like here I am, send somebody else, the Bible says that God's kindled in anger, but God's response is not to strike him dead, even though... He would have been right in doing that. He, he doesn't strike him dead. He lets him know that Aaron is, is on the way. And, and, and so at this point, everything has gone in the way that God said it would, which is the way that will continue. But their experience won't be as enjoyable. Aaron obeyed the Lord. Moses obeyed the Lord. Together they obeyed the Lord. And probably to at least Moses' dismay, it worked. And what God said, what happened, actually happened. The brothers obeyed, the people heard the words of the Lord, the people believed, and there was adoration and there was worship toward their God. And so it's certainly a bright spot in the narrative, but I do think it's worth pausing and just asking ourselves the question, like how necessary was all of Moses' fret? Right? I mean, think of the time and the energy and the effort that he spent trying to talk the Lord out of his plan for his life. And trying to convince the Lord that he wasn't the one to go do it. Seems just like such a waste. And, and Moses' fear turns out to be foolish, which is true of every single fear that's birthed from an unwillingness or a failure to trust and to obey the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that things are going to be perfect whenever you trust and obey the Lord, but it does mean that whenever we are obedient to the Lord and we trust Him at His promises and at His word, and we follow Him and do what He's commanded us to do, that we will have a peace that the world cannot give, that we will have a joy that only comes from not only an intellectual assent or acknowledging of the promises of God, but 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 an acknowledgement of the promises of God that begin in the mind and the heart and then flows out through our hands and our feet when we actually do what he's called us to do. And so, so far Moses' biggest struggle has been at the point of deciding whether or not he was going to trust God. And so I just wanted to take a second just to say to us, the Lord can be trusted. Therefore, we should obey the Lord can be trusted, and therefore, we should obey, period. Now, in verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. We dealt with the beauty of God already working in Aaron's heart a few weeks back. Do you remember that 
I, I, I kind of alluded to it a second ago. I, I got a little ahead of myself, but whenever um, God told, I'm sorry, Moses told God he didn't want to go, God's response to him in that moment was, like, I already have a plan to bring Aaron here or bring Aaron to you. Like, I don't know if he had already talked to Aaron or not, but nonetheless, God was letting Moses know, hey, I have a plan and it involves your brother and your brother uh, by my design has abilities that you don't have. Like you have uh, disabilities that you have and he has abilities that, that he has and my design and plan all along has been to bring you together. And so, I mean, he's letting Moses know, hey, this is never meant to be the Moses show. It's not about you. It's not about your insecurities, you know, um, insecurities. It's not about the things you can and can't do. It's not about you getting glory. It's not about you getting praised. It's not about you getting rejected. Like this whole deal is just, it's just not about Moses. And so I think a lot of Moses' insecurities, and we can probably relate to this, are, you know, kind of uh, tainted with this thought that it's about us. It's about our glory. It's about our praise. It's about our failure or our rejection. And, and so in God's just very unique way, he's letting, or he let Moses know, hey man, this isn't about you. Your brother's coming. Well, now here they meet. I just have to think it was just such a beautiful thing to experience what God had sovereignly planned to use Aaron all along. And what an encouragement it must have been for both of them to see one another knowing that God made them to be together for this particular time and for this particular purpose. Isn't that beautiful? Friends, the same is true today. God has made us and gifted us and placed us in this body called Safe Haven Church at Big Sandy with abilities and disabilities by His design for this particular time, for this particular purpose. It's by design. You're not here randomly. Just because you aren't, you aren't comfortable with a microphone or a guitar or standing behind a Bible and teaching, it does not mean that you don't have a gift. We all have gifts. Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians that we are a body that's meant to be together with certain abilities and certain disabilities, all to bring about the purposes and the plan of God. And so it must have been such a wonderful moment as they come together um, by God's design and, and you know of course there's the human emotion side of it the two brothers are, are, are united but the most important thing here is that they both obeyed the Lord and God's plan was coming to pass and in fact they kissed which obviously there was no pandemic at the time so verse 28 and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do so in this moment of worship and joy as they experience God's faithfulness and power together. Now, I, I don't know for sure if Moses performed the signs at this point between he and Aaron. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I'm not 100% sure there. But nonetheless, one thing that struck me this week as I just kind of pondered that reunion and, and this fact of Moses and Aaron coming together, one thing that, that really struck me this week was God's willingness to demonstrate, if he in fact did, but nonetheless, he met with them while they were there. These things with, without a crowd. Like what we have are two guys that God has chosen and called experiencing God with literally no other audience. And so even if he did the signs or if he didn't do the signs, of course, if he did the signs, it would even make this point all the more clear in that sometimes God sees fit to meet with a small group. But I just love the fact that you have two men that are just standing across from each other and God still meets with them. I thought about Jesus' words 
in Matthew 18, which are in the context of handling church discipline in, in conflict, but they still ring true nonetheless. Where two or three are gathered, there I will be with you. So, so I think something in our Western church culture is we say things and have probably said things or at least hear things like, man, God must be in that, which usually means there's a big crowd. And maybe he is. Like, I, I have been a part of large group gatherings that there's no doubt in my mind that God was active and it was glorifying to him and it was a beautiful thing. But, but on our mind, we think the bigger the crowd, the more God must be in it, which the opposite of that is the smaller the crowd, the less likely it is that, that God is in fact there. But what we see here is two guys coming together and we see God loving on them and them encouraging each other in a very, very intimate way. And it was just such a beautiful reminder to me, especially in a time when we can't gather in large groups like we typically do. It was an encouragement to me to not neglect meeting with that brother, just, just brother to brother, because the Lord loves in intimate ways. I think we see that in the life of ministry of Jesus. You see him going to individuals. You see him loving on his disciples in very specific and very intimate ways. And Jesus wasn't really concerned with drawing a crowd. In fact, one of the and in fact, one of the largest crowds that he ever drew was in John chapter 6 after he feeds the 5,000 and they gather and he fills their belly and they want to follow him. But you get to the end of the chapter, he's literally looking at his disciples saying, do you want to go too? Everybody left. And so the crowd is not an indication of, of really anything. They're not bad, but they're not necessarily good. But the point is, and I think it's a good point for the season that we're all in, where we're somewhat isolated and our gatherings have to be minimal or you know or you know they seem to have to be minimal for us not to think that just because we can only gather with one other family that the lord wouldn't be there right i mean that may be something that we just really need to double down on in this season is that hey this family gather with this family look if you can't gather with a large group if you can't gather with a community group hey let's commit with family on family with this moses and aaron type relationship where, hey, weekly we're going to meet together and we're going to gather around the Word of God just to do the best we can and to see that commitment and to see that reality played out. And so um, God often loves and acts in very intimate ways, and, and, I, and I think we should notice that. Verse 29 through 31, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worship. I think we would all agree. You see how we're on the mountain? Or not the mountain, like at the top of the roller coaster where everything's pretty? All right, all right. That's where we are. And that's why I wanted us to stop there today because it's about to drop off. And there's going to be a lot of disappointment. But here in 31, the initial response of the people of God is very, very encouraging. They joyfully believe in what Moses and Aaron tell them. Essentially, if you'll kind of allow me to say it this way, they believe the gospel of the Exodus. And naturally they worship. Their, their Redeemer is right before them. And, and for them at this point, what the writer lets us know is, is that for them, this translates to this reality, that the Lord has heard our cries. For 400 years... God's people have been enslaved and oppressed. They've been abused. They've been raped. They've been thought of as less than human. 
And so now with Moses and Aaron standing before them, and they've seen these signs that demonstrated the power of God, they've heard the promises of God, they respond in adoration and praise, and they bow their heads and worship this God because redemption is here. Even though they know they're going to have to wait on their liberation a little bit longer, they still worship and celebrate because God has heard their cries. And so they begin to give God the glory. Now I think there's some tremendous application for us in, in light of this because keep in mind they are in a high moment. They're not freed yet. There's still an awful lot that's got to happen. But nonetheless, they're in a moment where the people of God are gathered together around the word of God and they're celebrating the salvation of God and trusting that it will come to pass. And so I think there's some application. The first one is this. God's people gather around God's word. I, I don't know if there's a truth more plain in all of scripture in these two. God's people are meant to be together and they're not just meant to be together. They're meant to be together gathered around the word of God. And I want you to go with me here for a second, and, and I'm going to ask you to think about something that's actually not a possibility, but, but just try to go with me just for the sake of this point. If Moses or Aaron or the elders of Israel had neglected to gather together, what would have been the consequence to that? I mean, just think about it. If they had neglected to gather what would have been the consequence? If Moses and Aaron would have said, nah, man, if Aaron would have been like, nah, dude's crazy, I remember him. He was crazy as an adult, nah, nah, I'm out. He would have neglected it. Or what if they together would have said, man, it was so great when the Lord just met with us, we really don't feel like going down to the people of Israel now, so we're just gonna kind of enjoy our little thing and do our thing together, and they neglected gathering with the larger group. I mean, what would the consequence have been if they would have neglected to gather? Yes, they would have been being disobedient to the Lord. That, of course, is sinful. Yes, their strength would not have come. They were edified and encouraged, and they celebrated one another. But friends, listen to me. What ultimately would not have come if they would have neglected to gather together is the salvation of the people. This was God's way. This was God's design to do it this way. If Moses or Aaron had neglected that, or if the elders of Israel had neglected gathering... Again, there's no way to know for sure because this was God's plan and that's the way it was going to happen. But I think you see the point. Had they neglected that, they would have neglected the very means that God had ordained to save the people. It's no different today. Today, we are people waiting in a land of darkness and suffering. And I think collectively, more than any other point in our lives, together, collectively, we see, we sense, and we even smell the darkness around us, right? Like it seems as dark as it's ever been, even though it's not as dark as it's ever been. It's just always been a fallen and a broken world, but we feel it more now maybe than we've ever felt together. We are people waiting for our ultimate liberation. And so God's people gather around God's word. And so today we gather around the promises that the Lord will return. Today we gather around the promises that he will be with his people. We gather around his promise that he is working and that he is not idle. 
He has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us his word to show us and to teach us. He's also called, gifted, and ordained messengers, shepherds, pastors, elders to proclaim his words and his promises to the gathered people. Whether it's two or three or two or three thousand, like this is God's way. And, and I, I mean, this isn't some lame attempt from a pastor to try to gather people during a pandemic. Look, I know it's a pandemic. I know there are a lot of reasons for people not to gather today and legitimate ones. I get it. But what I want us to see is that we cannot neglect God's means and God's way to advance his gospel. And part of that and a primary part of that is for God's people to gather together around God's word. And if we forsake it, we sin. If we forsake the gathering together, however we can do that at this point, we are in sin. And not only are you in sin, I promise you, anytime I meet with folks or see, or in my own life, I'll just use me for an example. Whenever I'm struggling, I'm spiritually struggling, I'm not being the husband or the dad, I'm just annoyed by everything and I'm not being the husband or dad that I should be. A lot of times it's because there is some sort of disconnect in my connection with the body of Christ. Even though I'm the flipping pastor, there's a disconnect. And I promise you, it's not only... Don't neglect it because it's a sin, absolutely. But also, if you do neglect it, you have to understand what you're susceptible to. You're in danger. You're in danger, just like a sheep wandering from the flock. In Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25, it says this. We read this in 2019, and we went through it slow, but it should hit us different in 2020. Listen to this. I want you to listen to these personal pro I'm sorry, listen to these pronouns here. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen to this, friends. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Does that not feel like it was written for today? I have had more text messages and phone calls and emails about the end times in the last three months than my whole time as a pastor. Hey man, you think it's coming? You know what I say? Absolutely he's coming. Absolutely. The day has been drawing near since Jesus ascended. So all I know for sure is that we are definitely closer today than we were yesterday. And tomorrow it's going to be even nearer than it was today. And so as the day draws near, we just happen to be seeing some events that have caused us to come face to face with our own mortality. And, it, and you know, also might line up with some particular scriptures. And so we want to know specifically, is this the time? That's not to know. What's to know is that we are in the meantime to be gathered together around the word and the promises of God to edify and to encourage and to keep one another in the faith. And when we neglect that, we sin and we set ourselves up for disaster. 
for disaster. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of God. I feel like, if, if y'all allow me to use a, a sports analogy here, I played football. I know I don't look like it, but I did. I got the scars to prove it. But I did play football, and I, and I played at a small 1A school that when we started off, we got drilled. Like when we first went to public schools, we would get beat. We would just get annihilated. Like they wouldn't even stop the clock for anything in the second half. Like not even timeouts, not if you go out of bounds. They never stopped the clock. They were like, let's get this over with and just be sure these kids actually live through it. All right. And so as we got older, we got bigger and stronger. And so like my 11th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade year, things were still difficult, but, but we had been through a lot together. And so a lot of us guys had sort of grown up together and worked out together and got strong together and got better together. We didn't win every game, but we were still, uh, you know, at least more of a team. But, but I vividly remember, like with that particular team, my junior year and my senior year, because a lot of those younger guys are coming up, we'd get in these situations in games, and, and, and you could tell they were intense. Like they were intense. Either one of the star players just got hurt or, you know, something happened. Like the guy, uh, you know, across from has just been whooping their tail all night, and he's bigger than they are, and they just don't want to finish. Or there's some key moment in the game where everybody needs to step up, and you get in that huddle, and you can look around, and you can literally look into the eyes of the guys that you know are there, that are ready, that are thinking, man, we got up at six o'clock every morning in the summer for this moment. We may not win it, we might lose it, but I'll be danged if I'm gonna lay down right now because this is what I've been training for the whole time. And then you got these other guys that you look at them and they're like, oh, my knee all of a sudden hurts. They bail, they don't want it. And in spite of all the work, in spite of all the effort, they get to that key moment where it's time to literally apply everything that you've learned and all of those extra reps and all of that running, and they just don't want to do it. I feel like as a church, that's where we are. I promise you, I do. I feel like we're in a, a situation, not just our church, but the church globally, that it's, it's now. Like today is the day that we are called to shine as bright as we have ever shined before. And I'm looking around and what worries me is I do see a lot of you, a lot of you guys that have that look in your eye. You're going, you know, this is what I've trained for. This is what it's about. This is, this is why we are the body of Christ. But I also see others that are just sort of just fading away. Like just, uh, I'm going to shrink back. And this isn't to condemn. It's just to open our eyes to the truth of Scripture. And it's not about virtual or not at this point. At this point, that's not what this is about. What this is about is neglecting altogether the gathering of believers. And we need each other more now than we ever have in our existence together. And so the first application is God's people gather around God's word. Second, belief only comes after hearing his word. Did you notice? The response in Exodus 4 is that Moses and Aaron shared the words. They did the miraculous signs. And then what did the people do? First thing they did, believed. They believed. Before Moses opened his mouth with the words of the Lord and before they did the powerful signs, friends, there was literally nothing to believe. Like what made this gathering a biblical gathering, or let's just use our terminology, what made this a church gathering it's because it was centered around the words of the Lord. And when it's centered around the words of the Lord, then and only then true belief in the Lord comes. Romans 10, 
14 through 17. I want you guys to answer these questions for me. All right, interaction time. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they do it? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? They won't. They can't. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? They cannot do it. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They will not. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? They will not. In biblical times and certainly in our day and age, there are many competing ideas and worldviews and answers. And as critical as it is that we gather, it's even more critical that when we gather, we gather around His Word. What's going to feed your soul, believer, is the Word of God. What's going to bring faith in the unbeliever is the word of God. Biblical belief never, ever, ever comes outside of what? The word of God. And so most people want to gather together. It's not, that's not exclusively Christian. It's not distinctively Christian to want to gather together. So what makes a gathering Christian, whether it's two people or 2,000 people, what makes it Christian is when they open the Bible and they keep the Bible open and they're committed to gathering. And people who are committed to gathering together with the Bible open and that's their content that's spoken, you can expect to see belief. It's God's way. Belief doesn't come any other way. It comes through believers gathering together around the promises of God and proclaiming those promises to one another. All right, so quickly, let's, let's wrap this thing up. So we are, the gathered, uh, we are to gather around his word so that faith is encouraged in birth. Now, a couple of questions I jotted down. But to what end? Like, what's the point? Like, is gathering around the word just about me funneling information from my brain to your brain, Aaron? You know, is it just about just having the same, uh, you know, we intellectually believe in the same thing, so therefore we are united. Like, like, is that the point? Like, is the point of this belief in Exodus 4, all right, so they believe that God is going to do these things, and we, and, and we believe in the miracles that we just saw, um, and so does it end there? No, they're still enslaved. But even in fact with their slavery, is the point just so that, God's people are freed from slavery and it in there. Well, like, what is God after in encouraging his people to gather together and to gather around his word? And I want you to look in Exodus 4 in the last part there, verse 31. It says, And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and had seen their affliction, what does it say? They bowed their heads and what? Worshipped. So what's the point? Worship. What's the, what's the point of the great Exodus? What is the, literally, what's the point of the book of Exodus? You could boil it down to and sum it up in that one word, worship. What's the point of the great commission? What's the reason God has seen fit to become incarnate and put on flesh and bones and live the life that he lived and die the death that he died and gloriously resurrect from the grave and ascend to be at the right hand of the Father? You could literally boil it down to worship 
What's the point of our existence here as Safe Haven Church at Big Sandy? It's because there are homes in this community that are not worshiping Jesus, and Jesus intends for those homes to worship Him, and the means that He's established for that message to get to them is they hear, literally hear our worship. Not necessarily this morning, but through our lives and the way we live. Friends, the point of it all is worship. I want to show you a couple of passages quickly. In Psalm 96, 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Again, thinking about our gatherings and worship being the point, this is a, this is a command to the people of God to declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works from among all the peoples. And then in Romans 15, 9 through 12. Listen to this. Romans 15, 9 through 12. He says, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. If, if you go back to verse 8, it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Watch this. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God. What's another word for glorify God? Worship. The point is so that God receives the praise and the glory and the honor. Romans chapter 9. This fits our context perfectly. Verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Psalm 22, verse 27 says, And all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Listen to this. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done Gloriously, Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The worship of Yahweh is the sole purpose of God's redemptive plan. But another thing that we saw in these passages was that as we go about our lives in the worship of Yahweh, that worship is used by God as we gather together to bring about the belief and the faith of those who have yet to believe and trust in, in the Lord. And so the seeking the worship of the others is fueled by our own worship or the joy of our own worship. But here's the issue for me. All right, so I, I don't want to assume this is an issue for you, but at times in my life, this has been an issue for me because I plainly see in the word of God that I am to gather together and to be committed to other believers and it's all for the worship and for the glory of God so that it brings more worship and more glory to the Lord and I am commanded to go out 
and to point to this God that is to be worshiped and, and, and to be proclaimed in all the earth, particularly through the gospel of Jesus. But here's the issue is that we ultimately can't commend what we don't cherish. And so we're not going to proclaim what we don't actually prize. And we're not going to be an ambassador of what we don't actually believe in. And so the flip of that is true is that we actually are commending something. We actually do prize certain things and we actually are ambassadors for other things. And it's those things that aren't necessarily bad things, but it's the things we spend the most thought, time, money. It's the things we love. It's the things we celebrate. It's the things that make us sad. Those are the things ultimately that we treasure and that we prize. Again, I'm not saying they're bad, but when we treasure and prize Christ then that message is plain to the world around us. But when we treasure and prize things less than Him, but claim to have some sort of allegiance to Him, people are just confused. Like you say He's your Lord and your Savior, but like literally your life looks the same as mine. You laugh at the same things, you talk about the same things, you do that like, how, like, like, What's the big deal about Jesus? And so the world is just like completely confused. And, and so I, I think that it's worth it for us to always pause and, and to ask ourselves, you know, what is it that we love and cherish and adore? And, and I'm not saying you don't love and cherish and adore Jesus because I know there's times that I do love and cherish and adore Jesus, but my actions and my heart and, and my idols have gotten in the way of that. And so what that looks like is just turning from those things and acknowledging the sin that's there and the sin that, that is, in fact, present. And so um, God's people um, won't worship what we don't ultimately value. And, and so if we don't ultimately value Christ as King and Christ as Lord, then we won't worship Him. And so my hope this morning was that we see the beauty of God's faithfulness first, the, the beauty of God's faithfulness, but also the beauty of the obedience of God's people not neglecting to gather together and they experience the Lord in a way that brings true belief and true faith and it also brings what it's supposed to bring all along and that is genuine, authentic worship of the one true God. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Um, and, and Lord, now as we um, believers in this room gather around your table, that we would see that this is not only for us to remember your life, your death, and your resurrection. It is that and to proclaim that, but it's also to be a picture of our unity because of your work. And Lord, at the close of any sermon and before we, certainly before we come to your table, it needs to be a time that we reflect on our own lives. God, I pray that you would continue to burden my heart for the people of this church and of this community. God, don't let us drift. Don't let us slip. Let us desire one another but not just desire to be together as good as that is but to desire and for us to be intentional about being together whether it's one-on-one -on -one or family on family or whatever it is as we rally around your promises and your hope because the world right now around us and even in our own homes and hearts we need to be encouraged by who you are and what you've done we need to be encouraged by your promises and so lord i pray in these final moments that you would be glorified 
and that you would minister to your people. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you guys. We're going to take the Lord's table. And um, the, the elements are on this table here. And so we'll start with you guys with the towels. And if you guys could just get your elements and then y'all and then you guys on this side can get your elements. And just remember, this is for believers. Um, and, and, and so this isn't for uh, you if you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And so the table is open. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is gathered with his disciples and says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and then when Jesus took the bread, he blessed it. And so Father, we thank you for what this bread represents. It represents a perfect life of, of obedience. It represents a horrific death that you did not deserve, that, that we deserve. Lord, it represents your full wrath and condemnation of the sin of your people falling on your only begotten son. But God, we praise you that as real as the death of Jesus was and as horrific as it was, that you raised him from the dead. That same body that went in the tomb lifeless came out alive and resurrected. We thank you that that same physical body now spiritual body is seated at the right hand of the throne and so lord as your people take this element god i pray that in our hearts there would be worship and praise and adoration for who you are and for what you've done through your physical body i pray this in jesus name it says after he blessed it he broke it and gave it to his disciples and he said take and eat this is my body Verse 27, it says, and he took a cup and he gave thanks. And so, Father, thank you for your blood that was shed. There was millions of gallons of blood shed for years throughout the Old Testament, Lord, that all pointed, every drop of blood pointed to the greater blood, to the blood that truly had power, to the blood that was truly perfect, to the blood that was truly sufficient and efficient to save your word says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, God, we thank you. God the Son, thank you for being willing to come here and carry the blood in your physical body's veins that it would take to save your people. There's power in that blood, not only for salvation and for forgiveness, but there's power in that blood for cleansing as well. We thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. After he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You can drink.